With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5 Mojo 5 We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Hi, welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. We're going to get right into it. Pornography in the classroom. Yes, indeed. Pornography in the classroom. And so I'm bringing to you, first of all, I'm seeing more and more parents speaking up about this. I don't know why critical race theory is the thing that's really tipping parents off more than anything. Uh, it certainly seems that way. But porn is also one of these um, hot button issues in the classroom these days. And so we're going to talk about that. Specifically, uh, this story of the Daily Mail that this sex ed teacher who was being paid $55,000 a year has recently resigned. Oh, she was at a New York, uh, New York City private school. Um, she resigned after she angered some parents, strangely, by teaching first graders about masturbation and telling kids also that they shouldn't be hugged, quote, without consent. Okay, now I'm I'm not making this stuff up. And if this is what it's going to take to get parents out, to get parents to take their kids out of the classroom, I'm all for it. I'm all for them taking their kids out of the classroom. I'm just still sort of shocked that it took them this long to figure this out. So the teacher's name is Justine Ang Fong, Fonte, and uh, she has now said she won't return to school. She was the health and wellness at the Dalton School, and that's where she came under fire for her sex education classes. But there's so much more to this story, so I want to get into it a little bit more than just telling you that. Um, First of all, this is because she showed first graders this cartoon, and if if you're on Breitbart, um, you may have seen an article that uh, that was written actually about me. I was on, um, I'm going to stay, uh, eat the press with Steve Malzberg um, because this cartoon is so just, just a great, just blatant uh, sex grooming for our kids. And so I say that, right. I say, this is sex. This is child trafficking. This is sex grooming. Um, it's grooming our kids to become, uh, uh, enslaved, uh, to their libidos and therefore become victims much more easily become victims. So she, she, she chose to show this. And by the way, this thing is funded. I'll get to that. It's, it's crazy what they are trying to pass off as education. And this is why I say, we don't know what education is anymore. We've totally lost the, lost the, the thread on that. Okay. She's at this private school um, called Dalton School. It's on Manhattan's Upper East Side. And um, this is, you know, sent an email out saying, well, she's not coming back. But here's where it gets really dicey in, in my view. Um, the school, the school stands behind her. Okay, parents, are you listening? The school, the school board, the school principal, the people who run the school, the superintendent or whatever, they stand behind her. They actually said, throughout her tenure at Dalton, Justine Angfonte has helped to develop an exemplary K-12 through health and wellness program. And this video is part of that. Rest assured, there was no mistake made here. It goes on, Dalton, our faculty, staff, administration, and trustees, okay, that's everybody who is teaching the kids at the school, they continue to stand firmly behind this program and those who teach it, 
And they're saying that she resigned her position because she just wants to go out and start doing this, uh, this kind of education freelance. Yes, freelance, ladies and gentlemen. She is available to groom your children freelance. You don't have to spend $55,000 a year to put your kid in a school that will groom them. You can hire her privately. And I wonder what those private lessons are going to look like. I'm sorry. I get very, very angry about this stuff. I get very angry about this stuff. And the idiot parent, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like off the hook now. The idiot parents who continue to find some sort of reason to think that somehow any of this is at all in any way, shape, or form okay. At faculty and staff meetings, the letter goes on. This is a letter that was sent to the parents of the school kids there. Justine announced her decision to leave Dalton to focus on her work as an independent health educator. She's been working toward this goal for over a year. She's been wanting to leave the school for over a year. We support Justine's aspirations and look forward to honoring her accomplishments as the academic year comes to a close. They're literally going to fet her as the academic year comes to a close. They're going to celebrate, honor her accomplishments at grooming children for sex trafficking. And one Dalton parent, and I got to say, you would think that people who send their children to a school that costs $55,000 a year are somewhat clever. You'd be wrong. One parent reacted angrily to the statement saying, this inability to admit a mistake or acknowledge misstep is strange. No, it's not. Parents, wake up. They are not They don't think that it's a mistake. They don't think that it's a misstep. They're on track. They're doing exactly what they want to do with your children. And you're standing by and going, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Oh, well, nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving on. I got to tell you. So if you want to look up uh, the Breitbart Breitbart article, they have the video there. I'm not going to show it. First of all, because technologically I'm challenged and I, and I don't have it available for you guys um, in this format. But I will say I'm working on a new studio um, that where I will have that capability, etc. So um, in the video, however, I will describe uh, certain parts of it. There's a cartoon little boy and he asks, hey, how come sometimes my penis uh, gets big sometimes and points in the air? is shown to kindergartners. This is a sex education sh- uh, uh, video for children. Okay. And then a little girl talks about her private parts in the same manner. And uh, she's um, told by an older woman in the video. Um, and there are cute little animals around and the kids are smiling because they really enjoy talking about sex with an adult uh, th- that they don't know. Uh, right. I mean, it's just an adult. It's not she's not identified as a as a parent or even a teacher figure. It's just an adult. Um, and she talks about how it feels good when you touch your private parts, although she doesn't refer to them as private parts. She uses the um, the scientific uh, an, an anatomical vernacular. Um, and uh, it does seemingly address masturbation because it describes the act of masturbation, um, the act of matter- masturbating. And I just want to point out that following an outcry, Fonte told parents that it did not use the word masturbation in class. Oh, because that will fix everything. 
In fact, forgive me, my reaction somehow seems to be a hundred always, it's always 180 degrees different than what they're pushing, right? So my reaction is why not teach the children the big word? Why not teach it to them? I mean, if you're gonna do this, I mean, I remember when, when um, my, my oldest was like two and three, I taught him the word reconstitute. I don't know why. I'm like, let's teach him a big word. Hmm, what's a big word? Reconstitute. Let's take a let's take a, a raisin and put it in water and watch it reconstitute. <laughs> so stupid. But I'm just saying, like, oh, don't worry, we're not teaching them big words. What? Those who complained to school administrators were told they had misinterpreted the lessons. That was reported earlier in the post. You guys, you don't get it. We're we're grooming your children to be sex trafficked. You think we're actually trying to teach them things. No, no, no. It's just about the grooming. Okay, so calm down, sit down. This will be fine. By the way, where did they get this video? Huh, where did it come from? Who would think to do a video to teach very young children about masturbation and touching themselves? Who would want to teach children that? Because it's not something that children do naturally. It's not something that they know about, which is, of course, ludicrous and ridiculous. Hedge fund billionaire Bill Ackman's Pershing Square Foundation provided the school. And by the way, I wonder how much, um, they, how, how, how much they save on taxes by donating to a foundation that promotes pornography. Folks, this is so rampant, it's so insi- ins- insidious inside our entire structure They provided the school, by the way, his ex-wife, Karen, is on the board of trustees of that school. The school got a $450,000 grant to fund Fonte's work. Yeah, if you want anything taught inside the school system, come up with the dough, folks. You want to teach the kids that Procter & Gamble is the best company out there? Just donate a bunch of money and stuff, and you'll have the kids eating out of the palm olive of your hand. I, uh, I, um, I'm, I, sh- I don't know if I, maybe I shouldn't have started the show with this because I'm very, very angry. <laughs> Fonte recently presented a slideshow to high school students about porn literacy. Oh, yes. This is what passes for education, folks. This is why I'm saying to you, if you take your children out of out of schools, and now it's I'm blanketing it because honestly, even the private schools seemingly, and there might be some exceptions out there, but even the private schools seemingly, they're just taking a page from public schools. They're just doing exactly what the public schools are doing, only perhaps a little bit better, which is probably worse. And in fact, I think it was, I'm trying to think, it was one of the founding fathers, I think it was John Adams, who said that if you teach children anything without a knowledge of God and the Bible, you're just making better criminals. I'm going to say that again. Education without the knowledge of truth, beauty, and goodness, which in itself is the pursuit of God, is just making better criminals because there's no morality attached. And if there's no morality, but you're making them very smart, they're just better criminals. 
Who's to say? And and this is okay. Okay, no, I'm going off track. I gotta I gotta keep to the program here. Um, the slideshow included images. Okay, the slideshow that she showed to high schoolers uh, included images of partially nude women asking students if it was art or porn while they're looking at partially nude women who are in bondage. One mother said when the row first broke, kids have no less than five classes on gender identity. This is pure indoctrination. This person should absolutely not be teaching children. I remind you that the school and all the faculty stand behind her. You're in the minority, parents. You're the odd men out. Your views are not valued. Everyone at that school stands behind this gal teaching this sex pornography to young children, okay? Wake up. It's so funny because we're calling the left woke, and that's exactly the wrong term for them. Although at this point, it's a pejorative and it is right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. The Post also recently revealed that Fonte led a porn literacy workshop at a $47,000 a year Columbia Grammar and Prep School in Manhattan's Upper West Side, you might, you might recognize the name of that school because that's apparently one of the schools that Barron Trump uh, attended. Um, they allegedly forced juniors to attend a compulsory workshop on porn, a compulsory workshop on porn. Your children will not escape the sex grooming that they have in store for your children. Folks, this is in private school. You think this isn't already in the public schools? Think again. The, the, the porn workshop included lessons on incest role play and OnlyFans, which frankly, I don't know what that is. I probably should. The students at Columbia Grammar and Prep School were told to watch a slideshow entitled Porn- Pornography Literacy and Intersectional Focus on Mainstream Porn. Oh, good. It's just mainstream porn. It's not that. It's not all the other kinds of porn. It's just the mainstream porn. Simmer down, parents. It's okay. Trust us with your children. They're not your pride and joy. You hate your children. They're such a burden. Most of the 120 students who were between the ages of 16 and 17 who attended the lecture, they watched it on, on Zoom from home. So the good news is they could just click right over and uh, start watching porn also. I mean, more porn. I don't mean porn also. I mean, more porn. Uh, the slideshow allegedly told students what kinds of pornography are legal to produce so they can go off and produce their own. I'm sure at the end of the lecture, it included a, 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 a lesson on how to produce your own porn. They were also shown statistics on the orgasm gap that straight, listen to this. I can't make this stuff up. Straight women have fewer orgasms with their partners than gay men or lesbians. That's why it's better to be gay or lesbian. This is in all the schools. All of them with very few exceptions. There are exceptions. There are a few exceptions. But I, but I just, I look at parents and they go, well, our school's really good because we know all of our teachers. It's in the curriculum. It's in the textbooks. It's, it's in there. Maybe not to, to this degree. Maybe they won't show the pornography uh, uh, video in, the, in your Zoom conference with your kids, but maybe they will. Do you know? You don't know. You can't know. There's another side that, a slide that cited various genres of porn, such as incest-themed, consensual, or vanilla. That's called vanilla, because if it's just consensual, it's not interesting. They're teaching children to rape. Barely legal, that's another kind of porn, awesome. Kink, 
and also BDSM. Additionally, the slideshow included a list of the most searched pornographic terms in 2019 to facilitate the children in searching directly for what interests them, anal, gangbang, even stepmom. That's an interesting one, right? Search it up, kids. The OnlyFans is content creators share photos and videos of themselves naked or having sex with subscribers for a monthly fee. I'd forgotten that I knew that. School officials later apologized to parents for the lecture, and the headmaster said uh, they were not aware of what the lesson would entail. That is bull crap. That's bull crap, because if he didn't know what the lesson would entail, he needs to resign. But did he resign? No, I don't think he resigned. I don't think he's really against what, what happened in the, in the classroom there. I don't think so. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. For those of you on radio, I will be right back. For those of you on video, thanks for joining me. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. You can get extra great content over at sorbos.locals.com. Also, my videos are up on Rumble now. So uh, please switch over to Rumble because I have a feeling that YouTube's going to take me down pretty soon because YouTube loves porn. Every Mojo Five O show is available on demand at mojo50.com. All right, welcome back to the Sam Sorbo Show. It's great to have you here. And my guest, Tina Deskovich, who is a mom on fire for her new organization called Moms for Liberty. She noticed what was happening in the schools. She actually ran for school board and won and tried to serve on the school board and was thwarted at every turn with her terrible, terrible conservative values. How dare she try to protect children? And Tina, um, first of all, welcome to the program. Hi, Sam. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So uh, I just did a segment on the pornography that's running rampant in the classroom, and we can get to that. I think you, I can't remember why you uh, ran for school board, but you served um, a, as a school board chair of the 10th largest district in Florida, which, which is a state that skews conservative, and yet you really struggled uh, to get anything done, Right. Yes, at least with the conservative values that you're talking about. So uh, our district is the 10th largest in the state, but 47th largest in the country. In Florida, we have school districts the size of counties. And so they're very large districts. That was one of the reasons you can't get anything done. It's just a huge bureaucracy and trying to make change is very difficult. But also, especially towards the end of my term, I served from 2016 to 2020, uh, even our conservative county started leaning very left, which you can see by the, I lost my reelection to a very liberal progressive woman. And so what, so let's take a step back. Um, what exactly were you trying to change? What, what were the new things that you wanted to get implemented that got caught in the bureaucratic wheels that don't move? Oh goodness. Uh, you, Things as simple as, we'll get into the more serious issues, but things as simple as trying to get real grade A chicken in our lunches took over a year to change because of the bureaucracy and the levels of everything that have to be approved. So it's just very hard to turn a ship. So when you wanted to get into more serious issues like curriculum or things that are being taught um, with, you know, throughout our 5,000 teachers uh, with our 70 plus thousand students, that's a very hard thing to change, especially when people have beliefs and values different, that different from one another. So I ran in 2016, even um, back then, like I started running in 2015, it was curriculum was one of my major concerns. Uh, we still were fighting common core at the time. Uh, there were a lot of things that my son who was in middle school at the time was bringing home. He brought home a project at one point that he got a hundred, it's a 100 plus plus a great job. And it was a whole presentation he did that I didn't know about 
that said Christopher Columbus, war criminal, crimes against humanity. It was this huge presentation. And I was shocked, A, that my own son that I raised uh, believed this, and B, that the teacher thought it was just so phenomenal that it was, you know, extra credit worthy. Okay, wow. And I've got goosebumps because I think this is a cautionary tale for parents because would you say that you are an involved mom? 100%. Up until that point, uh, all through his elementary school, I was you know, the PTO president. I had my own office at the school that they just kind of gave me because I was there so much, doing so much for the school. I volunteered in the front office so that I would see who was being checked in and who was at the school. I was extremely involved. And and at home, extremely involved. I mean, we do things like, uh, you know, we let my kids know the preamble by the time they're like six or seven year old to the constitution. So we, we teach stuff at home. And for my own son to bring that home was a wake up call. How did he get that project done without you even knowing that he was doing it? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like science fair. It wasn't a nine month project, but it was a display that he had unfolded and it was, he did it at school. And so, uh, he brought it home, but you know, that was just one of the many concerning things I've, I've made a whole folder and a whole box of items that have I've seen over my years of being a parent with kids in school and then serving on the school board. Uh, just, you know, was, by that, the time, was, was that sort of the, the tipping point that made you run for school board or what's the timing on that? I'll tell you what actually like pushed me over the edge to run for school board is when I realized I had a voice at a level higher than just my local school with my children. Uh, we were fighting Common Core and some things that the state was doing at the time. And they, they had pa- recently passed um, a statute that mandated more uh, high stakes testing. And it really bothered me. And I didn't understand the rationale. I didn't agree with it. I didn't agree with tying teacher pay to it. And so we made appointments with our legislators and in a matter of weeks, we had that law reversed. There was it just learning that you could go in and make appointments and talk to them and have a conversation and help them understand another point of view. Uh, it was, it was remarkable to me, the impact you could have. And I thought I could do this. I could be involved. I can, I can run for a position and make a difference. Why do you think you didn't think that that was available to you until it got, until a sort of push came to shove and you were like, wait a minute, I got to figure out if there's anything I can do about this because this thing, this is the tipping point for me. This is the thing that I really disagree with that I want to fight back on. I think most parents and moms feel the way I do. Uh, We'll talk probably a little in a little bit more about the organization I've started since. And I'm in touch with moms all over the country now. And this is what I hear again and again. They, you just, you feel small, you feel you're focused in on your family at your home and your kids, maybe at the school level, you know, maybe you run for PTO president like I did, but I think that's about as far as you think your reach and influence can go. And that's not the case at all. And you feel small because you went to public school and they told you to sit down and shut up and raise your hand if you had a question, but don't ask questions and don't be wrong. And so you were trained to behave. And well, it's only and it until just, it gets to a, to a point where you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, back the truck up because this is too far. But up until then, you're like, well, I guess they know what they're doing, I guess, because, you know, I went to school and the teachers knew everything back then. And we, we don't get to peek behind the curtain and see teachers only know what they're teaching. They like read it up, read up on it the day before they teach it. They yes, they go to school to learn to teach, but not anymore because now they're just learning to indoctrinate and teach kids that Christopher Columbus was a racist, homophobe, whatever, right? When in fact, he was a missionary, Uh, you know, the the exact opposite. And in fact, he wrote, 
I don't know if you I don't know if you know this, but Howard Zinn wrote in his um, A People's History of America, which is a communist uh, book about America, um, and it's being taught in our public schools now. Um, he wrote and he misquoted and, and selectively quoted Christopher Columbus to say that the that the uh, indigenous peoples that he discovered in the in the New World would be very easily enslaved and would make excellent slaves. And Christopher Columbus wrote that in his diary as a way of saying somebody needs to empower these people with a vision of Christ and their value to God so that they are not so easily enslaved because otherwise they will be. But Howard Zinn took everything out of context. And so that's what they're teaching kids. And your teacher who who was the teacher for your son who did that project, your teacher believes that Christopher Columbus was a racist, bad, bad person. And so she's proud of your son for reiterating that in such a, you know, in, in the way that he did. And he probably did an excellent job making that case because the source material makes that case. Right. But it's wrong. Yeah. So, right. It's interesting because at the time I didn't really, I didn't know. I just, I knew like in my gut, I, I knew that, you know, it didn't feel right. I'm like, who would say this? And so <laughs> in my usual fashion, I went and purchased everything I could on Christopher Columbus, original, you know, source translate, anything, anything I could find. And of course, you know, drew my family in and we researched and studied and learned together. And what we learned is that he felt inspired by God to go forth and, and search out the new land. And he wrote about that very specific language about feeling promptings from the Holy ghost to do things and to go look. And so I felt stronger and more passionate about Christopher Columbus and what he did after researching and really studying and learning about him. Also, let me add that I think the following year, that same history teacher won an award in the district for being one of the best history teachers in the County. Well, you know what you need to do to become a best loved teacher uh, you just need to have a bowl of candy and give kids candy when they come in to hug you or actually no hugs allowed anymore, but when they come to see you. Uh, and as long as you have that bowl of candy, you become beloved. Listen, Tina, we're, I'm going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about this organization you started. You are my heroine. Uh, you saw You saw something that was wrong and you set out to try to fix it. Running for school board, trying to serve on the school board and then recognizing that it was, and, and you would have continued to serve, frankly. Um, I think that it was not fair the way that you lost your seat on the school board. Um, and so I want to talk to you about the, the pervading ideology that is already out in our school boards and the way that our school boards are trained and all of that when we come back. So we're just going to take a quick break right here. For those on radio, stay put. We'll be right back. And everybody watching on uh, video, you can find more segments uh, if you just click subscribe and um, don't forget to like the videos. Thanks so much. I'll be right back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me mojo or give me death. Mojo Five O. All right. Welcome back to the program. I'm Sam Sorbo uh, together with Tina Deskovich today who is a mom who saw a need, ran for school board, um, showed up for work, and then was uh, basically um, stymied by the bureaucracy that she, uh, that, she, that she served under, basically. And when she ran a second time, she lost her seat. And Tina, why don't you just briefly tell us that? And then I want to go into Moms for Liberty, which is the organization that you're representing now that you formed and that is being very successful. So first, how did you lose your seat? I lost the reelection. It was uh, for 2020. So it was the 
COVID was the, the main playing event at the time. Uh, you know, a lot of people have thoughts and ideas about how I lost, but the truth is, is, you know, I'm a registered Republican. There's no secret to that. And Republicans in general don't focus on education. They have neglected it for a very long time. And Democrats are laser focused on education, on public education and our schools. And the Democrat party rallied behind my opponent. Uh, they saw an attractive, uh, pretty well-spoken candidate that they could get behind, which they don't often have sometimes in, in our area because we're a very conservative county. And they doubled and tripled down and they worked very hard for her. They knocked doors uh, off, you know, for I think almost a year, if, if, if I'm gauging right from those that I know that doors that they hit, they, um, she really, really won the election um, in mail ballots. I lost, I beat her on election day. I beat her in early voting, but she had such a wide margin even before election day over mail ballots that uh, it was just impossible for me to catch up. Well, they are organized, right? In fact, that's part of uh, who they are, community organizers, which is how they how they figured out how to game the system, uh, the voting system that we have. All right, let's but let's talk about. So I would say that it was a bit of a of a blessing that you lost your seat, because then you had all this time on your hands (laughs) to start a new national organization. So talk to me about Moms for Liberty. First of all, let's give people the website. It's momsforliberty.org. Yes, ma'am. And uh, so talk to me about that. You, you had this idea and uh, just walk us through that. Yeah. So uh, Tiffany Justice and I, she is the co-founder. She was a school board member the same time frame, 2016 to 2020 in a different county in the state of Florida. And when you serve on a school board and you're conservative and you take these strong conservative stances, there's not very many of you even in our state. And so you get to know each other very well, even across the state and in different counties. So the, the, probably through the whole COVID thing, even more so we were four one votes on both of our boards. We would reach out to each other to discuss some things. We built a pretty good relationship. Uh, And so as our terms were coming to an end, we started noticing more and more parents coming to school board meetings, not just in front of us in Florida, speaking uh, to advocate for their children, but all over the country and just pretty much being ignored by school boards. They did not care. They had a very specific idea in their brain how they wanted this to go, a very specific agenda. I mean, you know, there's schools in the country that are still closed. It's like a year and a half later. Parents are rallying in groups. We saw all these divided groups, individuals standing alone groups that were starting to form didn't really have a, a unified voice. And then individual moms just showing up, saying their piece. No one responds back on the school board. They go home and they think they stood up for their kid, but nothing changes and nothing happens. And Tiffany and I, we served on the board. We've seen behind what we like to call the edu curtain, right? The education curtain. We've seen back there. We know where the power is. <clears throat> it lines with the it aligns with unions and it is with the with the bureaucracy, the system. And we know kind of how to maneuver through that. We know how, how it works. I think through uh, everything with COVID, I, we feel like that curtain was pulled back and people got to see publicly more and more what's being taught that the unions have so much power. And I, one last thing in, in that question is we also saw over our term protesters come to our meetings. They were always in red shirts. It was always the unions. There was always hundreds of them and they would sway votes on the board. And so we knew we, you know, we looked at that and we knew how to combat what's going on. Uh, And, you know, that's how Moms for Liberty was, was, was launched. Right. I mean, we're seeing more and more of these videos of moms just, just, you know, all kinds of language coming out of their mouths at the school boards Um, there's one gal I've been trying to track down. I believe she's up in New York and she just said, you know, she just called them out and they, they tried to, they tried to cut her mic. They tried to kick her off. She said, no, no, I've got my time. I don't, 
who makes the rule three minutes? I dis I disagree with that rule. I'm going to stand here and talk and you're going to listen. You work for me. And they said, said, how much do you get paid? And, and they said, well, uh, we, we don't get paid. She said, you don't get paid. Who pays for this place? Who plays for your chair? Who plays for your microphone right now? I do, you know? So, um, awesome. I wish she was one of us. I wish she had a mom's for Liberty shirt when she was in there, but we cannot blame her. No, we need to recruit her. I've been looking for her. If you find her, let me know. Uh, You've done an amazing thing. You've got 20,000 members, 44 chapters in 19 states. You're always, you're, you've got hundreds, hundreds of chapter applications. I know you're very careful with, um, the chapter applications. You want to fully vet people, uh, before, before they put the shirt on, uh, and declare themselves to be affiliated with you because, Goodness knows there are a lot of people out there who um, who who don't think the way that we do and have nefarious, uh, I you know, ideas. Um, so so the the focus of Moms for Liberty is to train parents to fight the system, right? Yes. So it's to help them organize. It's to help them stand up for their parental rights. They. It's, it's really surprising how we've been kind of trained to just be quiet, to sit down, to just take what's going along. Um, but parents are, and especially moms, are feeling aggravated. They don't know what to do. They're seeing what's happening in D.C. They're seeing what's happening now right there in their community with their kids and their local school boards, and they just don't know what to do. And when they find us, I, if I could just read you some of the, the emails and the text messages we get and the tears of gratitude that people have, that we're helping them to connect with other people that feel the same way giving them a voice. So we, we teach them how to go speak in front of the school board. We give them the tools they need to write their school board and state legislators, uh, because in some states, the state has more control and in some states, the, the school board has more control. Um, we, t- you know, we put shirt moms for Liberty shirts on them and we, it's just, it's amazing what they're doing. They, and a lot of them are just running with their own things. Our two chapters on Long Island. We, so we have NASA and Suffolk County covering all of Long Island, Long Island. They've joined on to a lawsuit yesterday uh, against governor Cuomo, who still is mandating masks on children. Although the rest of the state is starting to go back to normal. Yeah. It's a, I mean, COVID really has been a strange blessing in disguise for parents to really understand that in a sense, there's too many there. Let's put it this way. There are too many people involved in education that don't have the child's best interests at heart. Would you agree with that? 100%. And that is why we form to give parents who care most about their children at at a minimum, an equal voice when they should be the driving voice in education. But right now there's, they're not having any voice in education. You can look at this administration. They had a round table about returning back to school shortly after um, president Biden was elected and they brought to the table the head of the union. They brought together everybody. And you, you could look at the whole list. Not a parent on there. No parental voice representing kids whatsoever. Which is interesting because Trump had a roundtable and there were a number of parents and private schools represented and teachers were there. Um, so, you know, I, I, I looked at that and frankly, I, dis- I disagreed with them because their whole focus was we got to get kids back in school. And I'm a homeschooler, so... <laughs> I'm going to take a, a different approach, but um, but at least he was hearing their voices. Um, so I wanted to ask you one last thing because I know that you went, I know that you can talk to us about what, when you get on the school board, There's tra- they offer training, right? So it should be like a no brainer, like you sign up for the training and they train you what your job is, right? 
Yeah. So this is, you know, this is a problem I think most people don't know anything about. There is a national school board association and then connected to them, there are state level school board associations. Within days of getting elected to any school board seat in the country, you receive this nice little package in the mail with a free tote bag and all these great little gifts in there that invite you to join your local state school board association. And 99%, I'm just pulling that number out, but 99% of school board members join it because that's where you go to learn how to be a school board member here in in Florida. They uh, shortly after you all go gather in Tampa and you do a three-day conference on taxpayer dime, mind you, Uh, you pay your $5,000 a year membership fee again with tax dollars and you go and learn how to be a school board member. Um, it's, it's basically indoctrination camp. You go to learn that you don't have a voice, an individual voice on the school board. You have to work with your counterparts, that you're one voice, that you have to be unified, that you, you need to protect your school district. Uh, you need to look out for your school district. And th- that, I think that is the number one reason you see school boards act the way they do right now. Would you say that you're taught to rubber stamp anything that the superintendent wants? Uh, it's very close to that. Yes. Uh, and the superintendent here in Florida and in, in my county is not elected. It is the it's one of two employees of the school board. The school board has the total authority and power on everything that has to do with our public education system. Yet they constantly I, I, they literally have created policies that give that authority time and time again to the superintendent. One lone man who with any ideology and no accountability to the public could could literally put any any policy in place. Kind of like our government. I mean, the power supposedly resides in the electorate, in the people, right? And yet constantly uh, we're seeing a power shift, not from the electorate to the elected officials, but to government bureaucrats who are hired, not elected, and then they get to decide. And I'm thinking- The EPA, the CDC, right? All those three-letter organizations are running our country. And it's the same way- Department of Education. Yes, like the DOE, right? It's all three letters. It's all three letters. <laughs> and with education, if you give me just a second, I'm so passionate about the way American education is structured because it really is supposed to be driven by the community, by the parents, everything, curriculum, everything. Most countries, it's not that way. Most countries, it's whatever the top ruler, the king or the president says, he appoints a czar who appoints an area person who appoints points, points all the way down to the teachers. And whatever the top guy says is what's taught. In America, your local community can go down and do a textbook review and can really set what's supposed to be taught. We're not doing that. We're not doing that at all. No one is showing up for those reviews. No one is engaged and involved. And that's part of the reason we formed Moms for Liberty. Yeah. So um, maybe part of your outreach can just be textbook reviews. Like let's get, let's do a book club with the moms and look at the social science uh, textbook or the history textbook for sixth grade this year. And the moms of the sixth graders, let's just peruse it. Let's take a look. Um, but But I guarantee you because they've done away with all the old textbooks and they've reimagined them. Um, They're all perverted at this point by common core, if not uh, other things. And uh, so it's very sad to me um, that children are being taught to hate Christopher Columbus, which is uh, by and large, that's, you know, that's the beginning of hate the nation. And that's what we're seeing in critical race theory, hate the nation, hate the nation. Uh, Boy, that's going to make us terribly vulnerable in the future. Wouldn't you agree? 100%. 100%. So how do people get involved with Moms for Liberty? It's momsforliberty.org, momsforliberty.org. And what yeah. are they Easy enough. You can hit join on the front page just to get involved uh, and get our weekly updates of what's going on on that level. You can click the chapters button if you want to start a chapter or find your chapter in your community. You can connect with your local chapter. Uh, we had 44 last night. We launched three more this morning. So uh, we are 
growing every day. Our goal for year one was 50 chapters. We're in June and we're already, uh, you know, 44 plus three. So we're just growing like crazy. So you can find your chapter, you can join a chapter, you can start a chapter, you can donate to us. Uh, It is, it's starting to cost some money to get this organization growing nationally. Yeah. I know you, you earn a tiny bit on t-shirts, but you can always use donations. It's an amazing work that you're doing. Tina Deskovich, thank you so much for joining me on the Sam Sorbo show. And for those of you on radio, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about Hunter Biden's new foray into the art world and also um, the decay of traditional religion. I will connect those two dots. So stay tuned for that. Patrick Henry was a loud, distrustful malcontent. And so are we. Mojo Five O. All right. Welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks for joining me. I'm Sam Sorbo. We're going to talk just briefly. Hunter Biden has now ventured into the art world. And if you want, you can purchase a piece of his artwork. If it's, I believe if it's like on plain paper, it's only $75,000, but there are pieces that go up to and include the price tag of $500,000. Now I haven't gone into this very much before, but this is money laundering. That's what that is. Let's, let's rest assured People don't want to buy artwork from a Coke addict. They want access to the president and or they want protection from the Clintons. (laughs) Oh my gosh, is YouTube going to take this down too? It's medical misinformation. Did you hear that there was another Clinton guy? Well, no, he wasn't a Clinton guy. He was the reporter who broke the story that Bill Clinton met Loretta Lynch, the AG, on the tarmac of an airport late at night to discuss their grandchildren. That poor guy who broke that story and has a young family committed suicide uh, the other day. Yep. Okay. Well, you may draw your own conclusions. We don't need to go too far into that. But yes, the the art that we are discussing today is, strictly speaking, money laundering. That's what that is. And it's an amazing scheme. In fact, I have a movie that I want to do about this, um, that they, they basically came in and they saw that um, with this new movement that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, They could call something valuable that wasn't. In fact, even Picasso himself said that he had become such a, such an iconic figure that even he couldn't tear himself down. Now, Picasso's early work was actually quite um, beautiful. Um, He did some realistic, uh, uh, I think they were charcoal drawings of, of women and stuff, quite beautiful. It's not that he didn't have talent, but he realized that if he did really crappy stuff, he could sell it. And what a great way to launder money. You, you, you purchase a different kind of a commodity and then you resell it. And then that money is like totally bona fide because, oh, it was that commodity. Um, it's also, you know, it's just a scam. Let's just put it that way. Education used to be teaching truth, beauty, and goodness. Well, truth, there, there is, an, there is a, a truth that is immutable. And there is a beauty that is undeniable. There is something that is intrinsically beautiful, just like there's good and bad. 
Um, and we would all agree that uh, torturing puppies is bad because puppies are wonderful. We love puppies. And so to torture one would be bad. So anybody who says, no, in my world, torturing puppies is perfectly fine. You go, no, you're the one with the screw loose. But we've been, in a sense, disarmed from being able to, um, to point that out to people. We've been disarmed by what? Our school system, which tells us, well, everybody has their own story and they have their own truth. And there, there is no such thing as objective truth. Um, and that's bullcrap. So there's a top historian now that is warning that the, so this is off the daily wire, by the way, um, he's warning that the so-called woke culture and, you know, it's that that's, that's a pejorative at this point. Woke um, is, is a fake religion. Well, I've been saying this for a while. Um, it has to be reined in or else it might have deadly consequences. Do, do you think really, you think so? Not that I, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that he's speaking out. Niall Ferguson's a Scottish author and a historian and he went on Tucker Carlson's podcast and he explained why the political left doesn't focus on the economy very much anymore. Have you noticed that? Less and less about the economy and um, more about their arguments for just tearing down the nation, just destroying. They're, they're all about the destruction of the nation. Um, he said this, the people on the left didn't really want to have a conversation about economics because they'd lost their arguments because they, they, they lost those arguments back in the 1980s with the Reagan economics. Reaganomics, forgive me. Um, they really hadn't been able to make the case for socialism successfully. So, yeah, you still have the few out there who are touting socialism. And now they're unabashed about it um, because it's sort of like we might as well just embrace it because we're going to win on these other cultural fronts. And once they win on the cultural fronts, then they can do whatever the heck they want. Um, he said the conclusion was that there was more money to be made, more power to be gained by exploiting identity politics and emphasizing cultural, racial, and gender differences. And so that's what they're doing. And then he, later he warned that um, Western society doesn't yet, quote, fully realize, although it's becoming more and more clear that wokeism is in fact a religion. Well, this is what I've been arguing. In fact, I talk about it basically when I talk about my book. The idea is that there is truth, there is beauty, and there is goodness. And those things are interconnected with God. Those things are God. And the left is all about the opposite of God. And in fact, I say, it's not that, you know, okay, I'll say it this way. The greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince the world that he didn't exist. And so we have a bunch of people believing that there is no such thing as the devil. But there is. There is a sinister spirit that exists. It's a sinister spirit. You've seen it take over people when they get angry or or when they're possessed, right? You see it. You know that it's there. Intrinsically, you, you understand that it's there. In fact, I had a friend who was a really bad guy. He's a he's, um, really big guy and uh, uh, tattoos all over. And he ran with a gang and he was just a really, really bad, bad dude, right? And he was, um, uh, he was arrested one day. He, he'd been on his way home and the police uh, put him in the back of the squad car. And uh, luckily... They did that because he found out later that there had been a hit on him. And if he'd gone home, he would have been amb- ambushed and he, he wouldn't have survived it. Um, in the back of the police car, he understood that he had seen abject evil. He'd seen it. We've all seen it. We all know it's there. Okay. There is such a thing as abject evil, objective evil, right? And in the back of the squad car, he 
he realized that he had seen abject evil and he went, well, if that exists, then there must be something that is entirely good. There must be that good spirit to offset that evil spirit. And if you don't believe that, then boy, I, there's like, there's no hope for you. Like, like what kind of life are you going to live? Like, that's just a really sad thing. So um, when he realized that he, uh, um, he actually understood Jesus. It, it was weird. He, he felt like he had a visitation from Jesus. And when they pulled up to the police station, the cop got out and brought this guy out of the car. And he said, dude, what, what's with you? You're, you seem different somehow. And my, my friend said to him, yeah, Jesus. And that turned his life around. It's a beautiful story. So they've been using the salami tactic on us. They've been slowly but surely indoctrinating us and, and through education, really through education, putting people in front of us that, um, that they tell us have authority. And then, um, and then those people with authority tell us lies. And that's what they're doing in our schools today. They are lying to your children. They are lying to your children because they've embraced the lie, not because they don't know that they're lying. Now, okay, to a teacher, I'm not going to castigate all teachers. I won't throw them all in that bin. But when the, um, when the official spokesperson of the school says that all of the staff and faculty stand behind a woman who teaches lies and nastiness to children, then I call on those teachers. I'm sorry, teachers, but I call on you to stand up and say, I don't stand with her. And boy, I tell you, if you stand up and say, I don't stand with her, you will have families knocking on your door saying, would you educate my children for me, please? Let's homeschool them. You get to run the show, which is not something that I necessarily advocate for. I think parents should be involved intrinsically in their children's education. But my point is that they're looking for an alternative. And you got kids going to a $44,000 a year school and you're a teacher there. Maybe you're making fifty dollars or $60,000 a year, maybe slightly more. Take a couple of kids and say, I'll, I'll, I'll homeschool your kids. You pay me $80,000. i will take your two kids. You save $8,000 a year and, and I'll just do it in your home. That would be one solution. Of course, you'd only have two kids. Maybe you could take six, charge them a little bit less, make it more, more fiscally meaningful for them. The parents are too, they've bought into the system too much. They've bought into the lie. Did you know that students who, who were accepted to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, but chose a different school for whatever reason, the money or the location or whatever reason, that within five years of graduating, their salaries are comparable to the Harvard, Yale, and, and Stanford graduates? Comparable salaries without the debt. I'm just saying, without the debt. Okay. Um, uh, we're going back to the Ferguson, now Ferguson interview with Tucker Carlson. Later on the podcast, he warned that um, the Western society is, is uh, waking up too slowly, basically, and that we're finally realizing that this wokeism is in fact a religion. And if you don't subscribe to their religion, boy, they will cut you down, right? They will cut you down. John Stewart recently came out and said, you know, he, he, he related the fact that they called it the Wuhan virus, that it must have come from a lab. In fact, he said, okay, let's, have, let's, let's look at it this way. There's a, there's a fabulous, a, fa- a fantastic 
um, chocolatey goodness event that happens near Hershey, Pennsylvania? Was it, oh, just um, some, uh, some animals that got together accidentally and created this chocolatey goodness? Or did it, did it perhaps emanate from the chocolate factory in Hershey, Pennsylvania? And so he talked about the Wuhan virus in, in that manner which is um, imploding. Like it's the left doesn't like that because they had their narrative, but their narrative's gone. That narrative's gone. Now you'll watch them embrace the new narrative and say, oh yeah, we knew that all along. We were just, you know, trying to be nice or whatever. I don't know what they're going to come up with. They always come up with some lie. Um, he says, it's not a secular political ideology. It's, it's not really about economics anymore. It's about salvation, membership of the elect, of the woke. It's about persecuting heretics, the cancel culture. It's about elaborate rituals of speech that can only be pursued by the believers. It's rather a cult like Matt Iglesias is not somebody I usually agree with, but he called it the great awakening. This was a very astute observation, he says. So we are dealing not just with the decay of traditional religion, but far worse, the rise of new fake religions. Well, we've had that for decades, right? The rise of new fake religions, political religions. And one thing that's very clear from the 20th century is that when people take their religious feelings and they apply them to political ideologies, terrible things can happen. But also, I want to add to that, very good, wonderful things can happen. And this is where the silver lining is. Oh, and I have to finish up. He said, central to what made communism so deadly was it's ultimately a religion. Marx is ultimately a prophet. Marxism is a kind of religion. The same is true of Nazism. The most ardent Nazis thought of Hitler and explicitly called him a redeemer of the German nation. So we have to be very careful of political religions. Politics is not something that you should approach with a religious impulse. If you start feeling religiously about politics, take a lie down, you know, have some sleep. Take a long walk and try again because politics should not be imbued with religious sentiment. This is where I differ from him entirely. He has completely missed the point. Now, Ferguson, if you want to come on the show with me, I'd love to have a conversation with you. The point is you cannot separate politics from religion. Religion is worldview. It is how you view the world. Politics is how you implement your worldview. The only reason that this nation is the most prosperous nation in the history of the world is because of the religion that underpinned its foundings, its founding. It's the only reason. Because the religion said that all men are created equal, period, full stop. Go back to the original documents and put some more dots together because you're very clever I'm thrilled that you got this far in understanding that we are dealing with an alternate religion that is a very jealous religion. I've been saying this for weeks now. They're very jealous. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's that they believe they are God and they are a jealous God. And that's why you're not allowed to worship in church. You're not allowed to go to church. And why did it go on for so long when it's so evident that churches should be open if abortion clinics are open? It's because abortion clinics are their church and your church is not allowed because they don't want you worshiping. And the reason that they kept them closed for that long is to create in you a new alternative where you don't go to church. And if you don't go to church, are you really going to contribute to the churches? They're trying to starve the churches. They're trying to kill Christianity, Judeo-Christianity. 
And that's where I'll leave it today. Hey, thank you so much for joining me on mojo50.com. Really appreciate it. Or if you're on the podcast, thank you for joining me. Um, If you, uh, by the way, don't forget to subscribe. Really appreciate that. If you catch me on YouTube, please subscribe and like my videos. Also, uh, whatever Rumble does, um, do that over there. (laughs) And if you want more great content, go to sorbos.locals.com. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Sam Sorbo. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. 